women's safety during lockdown women to experience that because there is some judgment around that or there is a lot of pushing around why don't you leave him and i think that's the biggest problem we need to stop asking why a woman doesn't leave and we need to start asking why does a man hit right where that entitlement come from on this show while we have conversations about women's sexual needs and sexuality it's important to address issues about women not feeling safe anymore and the lockdown has aggravated this The national strategy against COVID-19 emphasizes that home is the most secure place to be for the sake of our own and others' safety. However, being home constantly has given rise to domestic violence cases against women in India and across the world. So in India, the National Commission for Women (NCW) has recorded more than double the cases of gender violence under the lockdown period. During this quarantine the cases reported have definitely risen but have the calls to these NGOs risen as well My name is Barkha Bajaj Domestic violence is rampant and one in 3 women in India are impacted regardless of whether they report during quarantine or not I think during quarantine it's getting a lot of attention because a lot of these calls are going to the cops because women have nowhere else to go Right so when there is a crisis right now like if they call our NGO I can't do send my volunteers anywhere to meet the client or do anything like that only the cops can go because we are also under curfew and under lockdown so the calls to cops have gone up but surprisingly to us the calls have actually dropped there's a huge drop in calls and the text messages have gone up so because generally in regular times when there's no lockdown women call us when the husband is in office or gone to work now women are calling us or messaging us when they're at home and stuck with their husband so one of the cases that i handled was she was talking to me from the terrace because there was no way that she could talk to me in front of her husband so i think domestic violence in india is rampant regardless i just feel like right now it's getting the attention that it should have got like years ago there is a lot of pushing around why don't you leave him and i think that's the biggest problem we need to stop asking why a woman doesn't leave and we need to start asking why does a man hit right where that entitlement come from that men think that they can hit their wife and get away with it hi uh, my name is atanshi agarwal and i'm the senior program officer at one future collective we have seen an increase in the number of domestic violence cases being filed during the last 2 3 months from when the lockdown was imposed there's also another thing which is interesting is the fact that there has also been an increase or a spike in the number of cyber violence cases which means that the amount of crime that is happening online in terms of gendered abuse is also increasing exponentially hello everyone i'm anurit sethi a clinical psychologist working in the field of mental health we've had a lot of cases of a lot of violence coming up because when you are actually confined in a home where you otherwise only stay live and where you whether you're not always there for 24 hours being locked down in this is causing everybody to become absolutely insane that is why this kind of aggression and reactivity is rising and of course we are really trying very hard to control it so when you spot someone who is either suffering from domestic violence or you see something not right what can you do to help uh very quickly i'll tell you something that we use um in some of our workshops and is something that's very well known actually uh, called bystander intervention and the 5 d's of bystander intervention So if you're not the one that's being subjected to violence then in that case you become a bystander because you know about the violence even though you are not subjected to it in which case you can still continue helping the survivor by using any of the 5 Ds the first one of those being direct intervention um if you are a person who is aware of the violence and who is in the physical proximity of the violence then it may be helpful to um directly break in and stop the instance of violence by either taking the survivor away or the abuser away 
However, it's important for us to look after our own safety as well because it does not help the situation if our safety in the process is also compromised. Our second is to distract. Even though we may not be able to visit them in person, if we live around them and if we know that there is violence happening within the house or abuse taking place within the house, in that case, we can probably make like a loud noise outside or uh, anything which basically distracts the abuser and also reminds them at the same point that there are other people who can hear them and there are other people who know about what's happening. The third thing is to document what's happening. In such cases, so generally what we say is we can document it either by video or like by pictures and stuff because we are probably in the physical vicinity of what's happening. But given the lockdown, we may not be around, in which case it's important for us to encourage the survivor to document what's happening. And this can look like them taking photographs of injuries or bruises, them making a written note of what happened and basically just including all identifying factors as possible, such as location, date, time, etc, etc. And even if they think that it's tough for them to keep it with themselves uh, because, you know, the abuser checks their phones or something of that sort, then they can send it to their friends, trusted friends and family members and then delete it from their own phones. The other thing we can do if we cannot do any of these is delegate. For example, a lot of times it may be possible that we do not have the capacity or the skill to intervene, maybe either because we're too young or maybe we're too scared, maybe we're too, we don't have the resources to intervene. In which case, it's important for us to delegate it to somebody who we think can be of help. So in this case, it will definitely be the police. But in case we can't reach out to the police, then in that case, we'd look out for either elders in the family or other people who are in a better position to intervene and stop the violence. Lastly, and most importantly, if you are not able to do any of these and you still want to help, it is possible that we may not be available when the particular instance of violence happened or abuse happened, in which case it's important for us to reach out to the survivor at a later point in time and try to find ways by which we can support them, which is basically in cases of delay, which is the fifth D. We can either ask them how they're feeling, how we can support them, or alternatively guide them to resources that we may have come across, offer to take them to the hospital, offer to take them to the police station, things like that. So basically just check in with them like in a way that's not pushy, in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're being compelled to share information with you that they're not comfortable sharing. What are the necessary steps taken by the NGO to ensure her some security? As a foundation, all our volunteers are trained in crisis intervention. So it really depends on what the survivor needs. So sometimes the survivor needs us to call the police. We will do that. If sometimes the survivor needs just some basic knowledge on her legal rights. And I'm saying her because 80% of our calls do come from women. Although we are open to men and women. So we don't distinguish between who the call comes from. But 80% calls, like I said, come from women as women are largely impacted by domestic violence. And even though men are also impacted by sexual abuse, very few men come forward with uh, reporting. So based on what the woman needs, it really depends. Sometimes they just call for a one-time call to vent or talk about what's happening. And then our volunteers will listen and help them process that. Sometimes a counselor is assigned if they think that they need uh, counseling. And certain number of sessions are given free of cost based on what they need. Or they are directed to our legal team if they need a lawyer and legal advice. We can go from anywhere between three calls to 10 calls in a day. That's what our average has been, but we're very urban based. So we get a lot of calls from Maharashtra or urban cities and a few rural calls, to be honest, because maybe our numbers don't reach them because we don't really do any advertising except on social media. So it looks like it obviously reaches people with internet and access and things like that. If we do get calls from lower socioeconomic classes, uh, it's basically because there's domestic help and they tell their the house that they work in and that lady tends to call us to report it. 
So how and when do victims and survivors come out of the trauma and rise to a new beginning? Many a times in a situation like this where a person has been through any kind of trauma, they may not always directly approach us. It may be a family member or a friend who contacts us. Whatever may be the way that they communicate with us or contact us, we try our level best to come in direct contact with the client or the person, the victim who has actually gone through the trauma. This kind of a trauma leads to a lot of uh, shattered uh, feelings. most of the individuals go through extreme emotional wreck and therefore we really need to understand what they are going through the counseling sessions usually begin with a lot of catharsis where we listen to the client because they have lots to say or they may be in a state where they are so traumatized that they can't talk so empathy is really essential at this time we try to make them understand and realize what they are feeling and then we try to deal with their feelings by providing them alternatives to come out of this through various strategies we teach them that whatever is within our control we must do that and do come out through the counseling help victorious what is the best way to go about this legally of course we do suggest legal actions because If a person is a victim to any kind of continuous rape or any kind of physical trauma torture this is something that has to be handled by the legal authority one cannot continue to suffer like this and sometimes what happens is there may be a denial on the part of the uh, client's family that such a thing is actually happening because it may be happening in silence then it may be secretive so we do take the consent of the client and then do approach the legal body and ethically as psychologists we are supposed to help a client to the very best trying to maintain the confidentiality but if the confidentiality is of any threat to our client we do have to get legal action at the earliest that so what are the red flags that women ignore more often than not either coming under emotional blackmail or pressure I don't think this has anything to do with arranged marriages or love marriages. We get numerous calls where uh, women uh, were in love with these men, or there were long periods of courtship, and then the domestic violence started, or there were small signs before uh, the marriage as well, which were, you know, obviously not seen as red flags. So the issue with domestic violence is that it doesn't generally start with hardcore violence, right? It starts in very small ways where power and control is established on the woman, like, oh, my family doesn't want you to work, or I make enough money, you don't need to work, or uh, why do you talk to your sister she gets on my nerves or don't keep in touch with your family or verbal abuse emotional abuse sexual abuse so there can be many different types of abuse that are there in small ways that get exaggerated once a woman gets married because in india it's not easy to leave a marriage so that's when the violence spikes so it happens in both kinds of marriages and we get many cases with love marriages where abuse is happening such incidents can happen whether you are in an arranged marriage or in a love marriage because the kind of marriage that you've had actually does not decide how your relationship is going to go whenever a man and woman are in contact with each other if the either of the one has reactive emotions or has a difficulty in managing her or his emotions such incidents can occur sometimes we see even when one has been in extreme amount of love it can turn into violence and anger and irritation frustration related to whatever it could be 
It could be something related to children, to families, to in-laws, to parents, to anything. So it is not really the kind of marriage which actually shows us about how these cases are. But it is more related to the kind of relationship, nature of a person and an attitude one has towards a relation with each other. If you ask me, there's only one answer to that and that's patriarchy, right? Patriarchy makes an environment that is feasible for men to be violent and get away with it because we don't allow men to express themselves. They sometimes have no other way except the expression of anger or violence to assert themselves. And uh, we give men a lot of power and entitlement anyway. So uh, that makes them stronger in society and women weaker. So in any egalitarian society, if you see, obviously domestic violence is lesser. So the dynamics of power and control really play a role in domestic violence and whenever there is a power difference we'll see uh, violence spike up so uh, which is why child abuse cases have gone up as well right because uh, it's not only that women are victims of abuse so are the children so uh, it's really patriarchy that is the real reason why in a masculine country like India uh, violence is uh, very very common it's the way to make women shut up and last but not the least we can use a few tips to keep our mind healthy and positive especially with so much disturbance around us. It's essential that we handle and take a lot of good care and training to actually take care of our mental well-being at this time. We all are holding as psychologists several different kinds of seminars, workshops, social media posts related to coping with our mental health during this time. It is very important. We need to all become emotionally resilient, very compassionate towards ourselves and others, take a lot of self-care, maintain a routine which keeps us really busy and also practice a lot of meditation, exercise so that we can vent out any kind of negative emotions which are engulfing us and making us mentally unstable or emotionally disturbed.